0: It's great to be with you all here uh, at our 20 Schemes Weekend. I love uh, these times of year where we come together. Some of us are new to one another. Some of us meet each other this time of year just to reconnect. And I always find it interesting when we meet people... Uh, new people. We always kind of get around to the same questions, don't we? Like, what's your favorite, right? It's kind of childhood stuff. You know, in playgrounds you go, my favorite color is blue, you know what I mean? Because I support Rangers or green because I support Celtic or something like that. But we do get to those questions as adults, right? We start to ask, what are you into? What do you like? If you're super Christian, you might be, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Stuff like that. But one thing we gravitate around to that causes a lot of challenge is what's your favourite movie or music, right? They often polarise us. So I wonder if there's anyone brave enough here today to share... They are favourite movie with us. There's a new movie out called The Marvelous Talent of Nick Cage. And in that movie, Javi says his favourite movie is Paddington 2 because it made him want to be a better man, is what he says. <laughs> He's crying watching it. What's your favourite movie? Someone be brave. Give me a movie you like watching again and again. <laughs> Director's cut only for Sam, right? Yeah, good, good. Superheroes for Sam. Anyone else? What was that? Oh, I have no idea what that movie is. <laughs> is, it, is that in black and white? <laughs> <laughs> Someone shouted, Harry Potter. Yeah, so you can see even in here, quite uh, unique movies that we are into. Uh, generally, in lists uh, Avengers, Harry Potter, Shawshank Redemption. For me, one of my favorite movies of all time is Saving Private Ryan. I think it's a banger of a movie. And the way that movie opens, I think most of us will remember, spoilers, but it is like 20 years old, so you may have seen it. Um, the thing falls to the front and these young men run out onto Normandy Beach and the guns are still there. The, the start of the, start, the half hour of that movie sets the tone for the movie. It's horrific. There's bravery. And one element that the director really wanted to focus in on in that scene in particular was these guys who ran out onto that beach and got hit with loads of bullets but kept running, kept going. The term for them was walking wounded. They would be riddled with holes but they would look fine and they would keep going and keep going until they dropped. Like if a medic came over and took their pulse, it would be fine. If you're like, are you okay, son? He'd be like, yeah, and the next minute, he'd just go. It's a phenomenon that happens in wartime, this walking wounded. They look fine. They look like they could win the battle themselves, and next minute, they've gone into eternity. Now, you might be thinking, what does Saving Private Ryan and the walking wounded have to do with why do we need churches? Well, the Bible paints a very clear picture that humanity as a whole, all of us in here, are walking wounded. The battle that wounded us was fought long ago in the garden, and it wounded humanity to such a point that today we live with the impacts of sin around us. Some of us here today might be fighting hard, fighting well, but without the gospel, we are really wounded. We might feel strong, but we could be gone. In a moment. Therefore, we need churches as medics of the soul who speak into our woundedness, who challenge our sinfulness, and lift our eyes to the wounded one that is Christ. As Isaiah writes, he says this, but he was pierced because of our rebellion. That's the sin language, right? Crushed because of our iniquities. Again, sin language punished for our peace and we are healed by his wounds, right? So why do we need churches? Well, because we are dying and we're dying of unseen wounds and left untreated, we will go to a hellish eternity that is without God. That's how the Bible describes hell, as godless, right? Why do we need churches? because they are armed, as Sam already said, with the good news of Jesus Christ, with this word of hope that says, sin does not need to have victory over you. Even wounded weary you today can find new hope in Jesus Christ. So to help us focus our time on these great realities of just panned out for us. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, smartphone, uh, flick it open to that. We're going to pick up the text in verse 9, and we're going to read to verse 15. Now what we're going to do this afternoon, or this morning, sorry, together, is we're going to look through it from 9 to 15, and then we're going to backpedal back through the passage. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Chris, you only wrote a 20-minute talk and you're trying to stretch it out to 40. Kind of be right. Nah. It's actually quite good to go through it backwards sometimes to help us really feast on what this passage is saying for us. So I'm going to get one of our uh, church members up in Merkinch to come and read for us. Kate O'Tanis is going to read this section for us. So that's Jeremiah 17, verses 9 to 15.
1: Hmm. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at his end he will be a fool. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come.
0: Thanks, Kate, for reading for us. So why do we need churches? Well, verse 9, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We need churches because we have heart problems, right? Our hearts are deceitful beyond anything, meaning they are class liars, right? Our hearts lie to us. Our hearts aren't just liars, but they are sick, Desperately sick, meaning terminal. This illness is holistic. It's throughout that whole organ. So the best trauma therapist, the best counsellor cannot truly understand the depths of your human heart. Cannot get to there. This means for us that our hearts are often a mystery to us as well, right? We don't really know what's in there sometimes. We do and say and act in ways that wound us and wound other people. And we wonder, why did I take that pill, that joint? Why did I have that drink? Why did I pursue that guy or that girl? And we wonder where it came from. And it came from our own hearts. Because our hearts lie to us to deceive us. And thinking if we only had this or that, that would make us whole. That would make us feel in some way less dirty. We've all done things here, um, every one of us, that shock us, that have hurt us, that have highlighted a wee bit to us the illness of our own hearts. See, people in our culture now uh, often say, follow your heart, right? Man, how wrong is that compared to what the Bible's teaching here? If I was to follow my own heart, it would lead me to some very dark and dangerous places. I would follow every desire, every lustful thought, every flutter of feeling, and my heart would lead me there. No problem at all. So follow my heart? No thanks. I want to follow Jesus, right? I do want to follow my heart. People who say this clearly don't know their own hearts either. But here, the church is armed with a message of self-analysis, right? Through God's grace, God has made us aware of the illness that is in our own hearts, how it lies to us. And when the Bible uses the word heart, it doesn't just mean this organ in our chest that pumps blood, but it frequently is used as a metaphor for the inaccessible regions of you, that your inner life, if you will. You know, we would think the will is born in, like, the mind. The Bible says the will is kind of born in the heart. That's where you make your decisions. That's where things spring out of you from your heart. That's where the Bible places even our reason, which, again, is a big problem for us because no self-help guru can help deal with your heart. No psychotherapist, because they aim for the brain, will aim for your heart, A life coach, to quote MC Hammer, can't touch it, right? (laughs) What hope do we then have to get to the heart? We need someone who can understand it, someone who can get to those dark regions of us. So look at verse 10. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to, to the fruit of his deeds. Here we have the one who sees the heart. And to be honest, the latter half of that is, uh, verse gives us no reassurance, right? We are told the Lord searches the heart and tests the mind and gives to everyone according to their ways. When I read that this week, I was like, in my notes, I wrote, oh no, <laughs> right? Oh no. The Lord gives to every man according to his ways. If we're looking for someone to understand us, God answers in verse 10, I do. But at first, it isn't a reassuring thing. This makes us feel worse because God sees us in our entireties, in the dark places of your heart. The sin-sick you, God sees and sees your desperate need sees the wickedness of your heart, and he's searching you. Now, God hasn't been sucked into this kind of self-affirming age that we live in, you know, where people are like, oh, you've come last, but you'll get a first place medal, or it's not as bad as you think. God hasn't sucked into it. He's been very clear, very honest and open in his word, how bad our heart issue is. But now, we also have a God issue, right? <laughs> Not just a heart issue. God sees us. God is searching and testing the depths of you. And that's quite uh, hard. It highlights a lot, right? Recently, I had to go for health insurance because uh, my wife and I bought a flat recently. And the questionnaire that get you to do that is pretty intense. And me and my wife thought it would be cute to do it together. What a mistake that was. Uh, <laughs> Because Catherine uh, flew for it, greenlit straight away. Me, I ticked every question that went red. Would you know there's a problem there? Do you exercise? Nope. Uh, Do you drink? Yep. Are you overweight? (laughs) They tell me, yes, (laughs) I am overweight. I went through this uh, probing questionnaire, and I thought, man, I'm going to drop dead here like on the the couch. This is bad. And then I got rejected, Right. So whatever was London Victoria Medical had to send a nurse to my house (laughs) and videotaped me standing on scales (laughs) and uh, took out a measuring tape to measure my belly and no joke, it snapped when they wrapped around me. (laughs) So it was just awful. I was like, how revealing is this? These questions. These things, made me so aware of myself. I am pretty unhealthy. Um, thankfully, I got through it. But God searches deeper than that. That's quite uncomfortable. That's quite on show, right? And that was just me and this nurse. Here, the God of the universe looks at your heart and is searching it. And what he finds is a sick sinner, right? And if we think... Oh, I just need to get on with my life and prove God wrong by being good, nice, successful, powerful, rich. I've got to do it my own way. Well, look at verse 11. Like the partridge that gathers a brood, that she did not hatch, so is he who gets rich, not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at his end, he will be a fool. Here, the partridge is not Alan. Partridge is a type of bird that gathers good things to itself throughout its life. But this brood, like the children of or the offspring of its life, are not its own, right? She did not hatch them, but she accumulated them over time, and they've gathered around her. So this partridge, if you looked at it in life, you would think, that's success, that that person's got a full life, a rich life. Look at all the things that they have, right? But then this text says there's a problem here, and that problem is justice. At the end of the day, before God's justice, this will all be nothing. It'll all go. It doesn't account to that person's life at all. All these good things. It's like one of my uncles um, he borrows everything from everyone. Do you know a guy like that? Like if you walk into his shed, he's got every power tool, imagine, from Milwaukee to De- DeWalt, Makita, he's got everything. You're like, man, this guy could build a house. And then you start looking at these tools, and it's like John, James, none are his. Right? If everyone was to come and take it away, what they owed, he'd be left with nothing. They're not his. His shed would be empty. And before God's justice, all of humanity, no matter how powerful we are, how successful we are, how nice we are, we are bankrupt before a pure and holy God. We'll be left with nothing. So if we put our hopes in that, what does the Bible say? It turns and says, that's foolish. You're a fool if you do that. It's so one of my favorite bands once wrote, Linkin Park. Is, they say, I tried so hard, got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. That's kind of what verses 10 saying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't account to this person at all. It's almost pointless. It's even foolish. So if we had all the power in the world, guys, we cannot address our own hearts If we had all the wealth in the world, we couldn't get a clean, holy heart. There's no way we could buy one. If we were a nice person and we like to be known as that person that helps everyone out and I'm just a good guy, that goodness cannot wash away the desperately wicked heart that we have. So to recap, guys, we have a heart issue. We have a God issue. And we now have a justice issue facing us, right? But here's the twist in verses 12 to 14. The Lord God who searches is also the Lord God who can heal and save. From the very beginning, he has set his throne in the highest place of justice, in heaven. A sanctuary for us that brings healing and hope. In verse 14, we have Jeremiah even shining a spotlight on the fact that the Lord can heal you and me and people that we are evangelizing in our schemes, right? Look at verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. The Lord can heal our hearts. He can save us from the sin-sick state we were born into. Jeremiah is even so bold as to say, save me and I shall be saved. That's good preaching right there. Bold, passionate, like encouraging. It can happen. There's confidence in the Lord as the only one who can deal with the wickedness of our hearts. The Lord who sees and searches the sin-sick heart is the Lord who can save the sinner. The Lord who searches is the one who can rescue. The Lord who tests the human heart can change the human heart. The Lord of justice can satisfy that justice by his mercy and love right? God has given us a means of hope in the Lord. And it should be no little wonder to us that when we fast forward the Bible, if it was a movie, when we land in the Gospels, And in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is in the thick of his ministry, he's healing people, he's preaching good news, he's preaching the message of the Gospel, and people are wondering, is this the Lord? The Lord here from Jeremiah, the Lord that we have been waiting for, is he the one? And Matthew does something amazing. Matthew 8, chapter 8, verse 17, he says this, This was to fulfill... What was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That's actually a cross statement, right? The gospel cry, the gospels as narratives cry in one united voice that Jesus is this Lord and God that we've been waiting for. Jesus is the one who is able and willing to deal with sin to heal desperately sick hearts. And as our Lord and our God, how did Jesus do this? Well, he took our illness and bore our diseases. Jesus journeyed to the cross where he took our desperately wicked, sinful, sick hearts and he bore all the disease of that heart, all the illness of that heart, like shame, pain, lust, fear, and he drew them on himself on the cross for his people. Not only that, Jesus on the cross dealt with the justice issue we have in verse 11. He took what was not his own and made it his. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So he took our illnesses, our diseases, our sin upon himself, and he died, so justice would be satisfied. But not only that, on the cross, supernaturally, in a way it's a mystery to me, Jesus was doing surgery on his people, on his church, to replace their sin sick hearts with healthy, holy hearts that have the ability to worship and praise him. What an incredible savior we have in our Lord, right? Jesus became our sin and took our death. He who was healthy and holy became sin and sick and died to give us a new heart, a new life, and a new hope. But let's pause there for a second. And go back from verse 15 through this passage, answering the question, why do we need churches? Look with me at verse 15. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. We need churches because God in his wisdom and providence has established the church to be a place that preaches his word. There are people in our scheme, in our countries, that are asking, where is the Lord? Where is God? How do I know him? Our churches should be places where everyone and anyone can hear the gospel message. We should let the word of God come. Why do we need churches? To preach that true change is possible, that hearts can be changed, that sins can be forgiven, that shame does not need to bind you up, fear does not need to control you if you are looking to him who is on the cross, who loved you so much that he went there for you, to free you from these things that would bind you. Nowhere else in the world will give you a message like this that teaches forgiveness, redemption, freedom, justice, and love. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's placed at the very heart of his church. Why do we need churches? Well, verse 14, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Churches are places of healing and salvation, especially for really wounded, sin-sick sinners like you and me. This passage also implies that our churches should be places that highlight how transformational the gospel is, right? That this sin-sick person walks in and encounters Jesus and becomes what? Not just healed, not just saved, but look at the passage, a worshiper, someone who loves Jesus and praises him. Right? Totally transformed. Why do we need churches? Well, to show that true change is possible in Christ. Come on, that's why, like, let's be honest, we got Sam up a minute ago, right? To share a wee bit of his story. It was nothing of what he did, it was all about Jesus. It's not really about what 20 Schemes does. It's all about Jesus. That's who we're pointing to. That's who we lift our eyes to. That is the hope of sinners. That's the hope of healing. That's the hope for the hurt and the weary to encounter Jesus Christ. Let's be honest. We live in a culture that is so quick to rip each other down, right, to criticize to kind of attack and think, that's how we win, right? we are even seeing that right now in the, the leadership stuff that's going on with the SNP. Everyone's like, oh, tone it down a wee bit, guys. You're, you're ripping into each other. You're one party, right? But that's how they think they get ahead. That's how the world thinks. And see, in the church, we can drink that in. We can come polluted by that a wee bit. If you look at the New Testament, how many times are the guys writing, like, stop fighting? Right? We can drink in and think, that's how we uh, champion Jesus. But you show me a church that's fighting and devouring each other, and I'll show you a church that's taking its eyes off the gospel. Just look at the passage behind me. What does it say? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. A church that is inflicting self harm, attacking its elders, its ministers, its members, is losing something of the gospel because we have been given the gospel of reconciliation, because we've been reconciled to God. How dare I turn on another Christian? Right? We need to know this because it's so countercultural. That's why we need churches. They are to be outposts of God's hope and grace and mercy in a warring world. Right? As verse thirteen says, "Look, O Lord, the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water." Right? Are we churches? Are we church plants? Whether they meet in someone's house, in a community center, or a school, are outposts of God's goodness because we have encountered the one who is the fount of living water. That thirsty, sin-sick, wounded people can come to and be refreshed. And our praises and our worship, that's who we're pointing to. Come to him, the fount of living water, who can wash away the sins of our hearts. Because he is our hope. See, verse 13 puts it, the hope of Israel, God's people. Why do we need churches? Because they point to one who's more powerful than all armies, principalities, and authorities, right? Look at verse 12. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning. It's the place of our sanctuary. God's throne is high above everything. It's above COVID. That didn't shake it. The war towards Ukraine hasn't destabilized God's throne. The fall of Adam and Eve didn't shake that foundations. The battles in your church and what you're feeling today does not shake God's throne. God is sovereign, powerful, above it all. But I love how we have a message of power and authority paired with what? A place for us that is safe. A place to worship in the place of our sanctuary. Right? Right? So when we're fighting in the schemes and it just feels like, man, the devil is going out and snatching people. The guy who's so close to faith, you meet coming out of the pub, bouncing because he's on jungle juice and everything like that. And you wonder, well, what's going on? We can, go, we can go to Jesus with that and find peace in him and trust him because his throne is above it all. It's high, secure, unmovable. This is a safe throne and a sacred place. And because of Jesus, we have the right as his children to go there before his throne. We can go there wounded, weary, and find rest. Or as the great hymn says, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written in his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. There's no way to get away from it. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him, that's Jesus, and pardon me. Why do we need churches? Well, to speak about this, to speak about God's justice and goodness, to challenge the foolishness and the fool that we all are. Again, verse 11. Our churches should be places that challenge our self righteousness, right? constantly and consistently. they should be a, a place where we point people to self-analyze where are they placing their hope, right? Our churches should encourage people to assess whether they're like this bird here who's just gathering things up that ultimately leave them. I hear this a lot from guys in my scheme. Oh, I've got loads of pals. They'll do everything for me. And then the cops are at the door. Man, there's like... Dust, mates are gone, right? It's foolish I'm not going to stand up for you. In our culture, we need this. We need to hear the good news, the gospel. We need to hear about true justice. Why do we need churches? Well, verses ten and nine. We have a God problem, and we have a heart problem. And God answers our God problem by sending His Son, and He answers our heart problem by that son heading to the cross so that we may have the Holy Spirit and a new heart to worship him. As I come to the end of my talk, who can remember the ending of Saving Private Ryan? Can anyone remember that? Could a few of us. So the scene is, they are on the bridge that Ryan would leave to defend it, right? And the team that's sent to get Ryan out, most of them have died. And the captain's lying there dying. And they've protected the bridge. But the captain whispers in Ryan's ear, earn this, right? And then the movie goes forward to an old Ryan standing over the grave of that captain, broken by those words. He's crying. And he's like, I hope I have earned this. Now, it's a sad ending because those words have broken that man because he knows he can't. Why do we need churches? We need churches to preach the free offer of the gospel. We do not earn it, right? If the gospel was earnest, none of us could because our hearts are desperately wicked. But Jesus is offering himself to us, to people in our schemes. It's free. Come and receive. Drink from this fountain of living waters. Come, have your heart changed. Why do we need churches? Well, we have a heart issue, we have a justice issue, we have a God issue. And we need to know that. Why do we need churches? We need someone to preach and teach that healing is possible, that justice can be satisfied, that reconciliation with God is possible, and it's free. Why do we need churches? We need churches to uh, show us progressive sanctification, right? That we walk in as messy people, trusting and hoping in Jesus, and we might have a hard week that week, and we might come in a wee bit battered and bruised, but God is working in us to make us look more like his son. We need the hope of that. Now, one of the biggest challenges in my church plant when we first started out is we had no older Christians, right? It was a whole young church, and I was like, man, there's no one I can point to and say, there's someone who's taken some beatings for Christ, but he loves them and he's still going because God is shaping him and transforming him. You know? I wonder if that's why Paul says to Timothy, look at me as I run this race. Because Paul knew it was hard. But we're not running alone, right? We need the church to show we're together. We need the churches to be places of praise of our wonderful Savior Jesus Christ. We need churches to be places of hope and healing for sinners like you and me. We need churches to challenge our self-righteousness and the false hopes we so quickly fought for. We need churches to highlight our great need and our great Savior. I need a church who will love me and point me to Jesus. I need a church who, when they see sinful, weak, weary Chris, they're like, me too, brother. But let's worship him together, right? I need a church to remind me that gospel is free. And no amount of praying, no amount of good works can earn it. Christ loved us so much that he went to the cross and died for us. I need a church because it's a gift. It's actually a gift of the gospel. It points me to my Savior. We need churches across Scotland that will do that. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that, Lord, while we were children of wrath against you, enemies of you, that you sent your Son to reconcile us to yourself. Oh, amazing love, amazing grace that has set us free. So, Father, protect our wee churches from falling into um, this earnest mode that can so quickly creep in. Lord, save us from being like the bird in this passage that gathers things to itself that is not its own. Let us just say clearly and boldly let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us trust you, Father, with riches and in poverty. Help us trust you, Lord, in good times and in times where we feel we're getting a-beaten. Lord, help us and our churches be outposts of your grace, your holiness, your goodness, that calls sin sin-sick sinners to worship you and to know you. Amen.